Good morning. How are we all doing today? Good. It's good to be here with you. Uh, privileged to be able to uh, worship together. We were joking in first service, uh, the praise team made a joke about me uh, playing on the piano, and I can tell you right now, you would be gravely disappointed if uh, I played piano. And I bring that up because I just want to uh, thank them, thank our praise team for the effort and work they put in week after week uh, to use their skills and abilities to praise God and to sing songs that help us focus on who he is. Uh, what a privilege that is. And so thankful for them, and I'm very thankful for the opportunity to uh, open the Word of God with the people of God this morning, and for the privilege that Pastor Mike has given to me. Uh, and so this morning, uh, in our time together, what we're going to do is we're going to continue in our series in uh, the next text in the book of Colossians. And uh, currently, we're in a series called Rooted. And uh, so week after week, we've been taking a different text in Colossians, and we've been unpacking that. And so we are going to continue that this morning. Uh, up to this point, as we've been in this series, what we have found is that there is a, a group of people in a city called Colossae who uh, the gospel has come to them because of a man named Epaphras. Epaphras was, is a fellow citizen of Colossae, and under the ministry of the Apostle Paul, Epaphras is born again, and he's equipped for ministry. He comes back from Ephesus to Colossae, and he begins to teach the gospel. And as we know, when the gospel is shared, fruit is the result. And so there is a group of people who have heard the gospel, there is a church, there is an outgrowth of the gospel in Colossae. And uh, as we know and as we've heard much in the weeks leading up to this point, there is a heresy or a teaching or a group of people who are seeking to divide by what they teach uh, the truth of the gospel from the church in Colossae. And uh, what we find is up to this point, the believers in Colossae have remained faithful. They have remained faithful to the teaching passed on from Epaphras, and uh, they have been continuing in what they were taught. However, Paul is writing this letter to this group of people that he has never met because he is aware of the danger coming to them. There is a group of people who are gaining influence and whose teaching is false. And as this influence is gaining ground and as the teaching is spreading, there's a grave danger facing the church the lie going through this teaching is that you could find greater knowledge outside of what has been found in Christ. That you could have some kind of spiritual experience that would enlighten you beyond the point that you could have through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is addressing this heresy and he's calling it out. And, and the whole issue here is to claim that any satisfaction could be found outside of Jesus is a flat out lie. And Paul is trying to squelch this, he's trying to address it, and as we look at our text this morning, what we're going to find is a stern warning. If we reflect on our text last week, we're told that it is plausible arguments, or arguments that are believable, that will delude you, that will cause you to lose your effectiveness. And as he continues in his text this morning, he's also going to offer encouragements of what are the essentials that we are given in Christ, and it is when we understand these that we realize there is no need to go outside of him. Christ is enough. So this morning, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, and uh, we're going to be unpacking what Paul has written to this group of believers. Before we do that, uh, as we all reflect on this week, we know earlier this week, we went through a pretty big storm, didn't we? Many of you have lost your power, some have not gotten it back, and uh, as I was thinking about the storm this past week, when it was going on, it was mid-afternoon, we were getting ready to head over to midweek study, and uh, I had just gotten Braden up and was changing him, and we were looking out the window into our backyard, and we could see the trees moving back and forth very violently. And there's toys and stuff all scattered throughout the lawn. So Naomi and I are running out there trying to gather everything up. And 
uh, my son was concerned. I think there was some fear there, and there was some fear for me. I don't know about you. Uh, but the storm rolled through, and what was interesting to note is when we left to go to midweek study is to notice what was damaged and what wasn't. So as we're driving, we see that there's branches and there's limbs that have fallen. Uh, off Van Dyke, there was a, a light pole, a, an electric pole that was at a 45-degree angle. And so there are certain things that the wind, the strong wind, had caused to be uprooted and cast aside. But when you continue the drive, you notice that the trees didn't seem to have that same problem. The trees in our yard and the backyard and the golf course, as we're watching them, the wind is shaking the branches, and it appears that they're going to blow over, and yet the tree doesn't go anywhere. Why is that? It's because the tree is rooted. It's anchored. And as we consider our life, we consider the storms that come into our life that bring disruption, that bring disappointment, that bring uh, difficulty. If we are not careful, my friend, we will begin to look outside of Christ for satisfaction. When we are grieved, when we are disappointed, we must be careful that we don't go outside of him, but that we go to him. There is no satisfaction apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we consider this, the potential for joy and satisfaction in this life is inextricably linked to where our roots are at. So where am I rooted? Where am I building my life? So the challenge in our text this morning is that we would root our lives in the person and work of Jesus Christ that we can discern the counterfeits that are going to come and then live like he is enough. Let's read our text this morning, Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Colossians 2, verses 1 through 10. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding, in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Pray with me. Father, we thank you this morning for your word, and we thank you that we have confidence that we need nothing else but Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we study this text this morning to rejoice in who your son is and to live as though he is enough. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. question that comes to my mind as we begin our study this morning uh, is from last week, and it's this issue of how can you and I ensure that we will not be deluded? How can we ensure that we will not be given to plausible arguments that will dilute our faith? Not that we would lose that faith, but that it would become ineffective. What are we to do to fight against that? Uh, and the, what we're going to talk about here is that there is the need to remember how we were saved so that we can identify counterfeits and live like he is enough. One of my favorite beverages is a seltzer water. Anyone else in the room like their water, their seltzer waters? Anybody? No, not many people. Here's the thing. 
I like pop, but it's too sweet. And so I've begun drinking seltzer waters. But here's the problem with those seltzer waters is once, if, if you haven't refrigerated it ahead of time, especially in the summer, if you pour that into a glass with ice, it quickly loses its taste. It doesn't have that same fizziness. It's just not as enjoyable. So what you do is you either get a new can and pour it in, or you pour the other one out and start over. And what can happen if we're not very careful is that our walk, our faith in Christ can become diluted, meaning that it becomes ineffective. It becomes less effective. And so what we need to be on guard against is these arguments that are going to come our way. And so the first thing we need to look at this morning is that we need to remember how we were saved. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You and I benefit from reminders, don't we? We need help a lot of times to remember things. I think of my phone. Uh, I have a calendar app on my phone that helps me keep track of appointments and of commitments. And in addition to that, I have a printed copy that helps me keep track of things. And even in the midst of those two resources, I still miss things sometimes. The reality is we need things to remind us that we will be mindful of the things that are important around us and that we can, we can act accordingly. Another thing I think that helps us to remember is symbols. If you're married, you can look at your left hand and you can see a ring. And that ring is a reminder that you are no longer your own, but you belong to your spouse. And even bigger, you are no longer your own, you belong to Christ. And so when we see that ring, when we're going throughout our day, it's that reminder that I am satisfied in who God has given to me. I don't need to go outside that. And then lastly, we need people. We need people in our lives who can remind us how we came to know the gospel and who can help us when the difficulties of life come and the temptation to look outside of Christ arises who can help us to say, no, Jesus is enough. We need people. And so Paul is seeking to help them to remember where they started. And so as we look at this verse, notice with me, it says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. It does not say as you earned Christ Jesus the Lord. It does not say as you acquired him by your merit. It says as you received. The idea of reception is that you have been given a gift, that you have been given something that you did not deserve, but that God has freely given to you. Uh, so how have we been saved? We have been saved because of the unmerited, the, the unmerited, unearned love of God in our lives. This, this brings to mind Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So it's important that we remember that as we receive Jesus, it's not a result of some special knowledge we've become aware of. It's not because of some amazing experience we went through, and it's not because of works that we have done. It is simply because Christ has been given to us. We have received him. Nothing that we have done to earn him. Simply we were saved by faith in his finished work. If we look at John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, we see it says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, the false teachers in Colossae are trying to teach that there is a way to be connected with God, to be restored to him, that is separate from Jesus. That if you just would have the knowledge we have, if you would go through the experiences we go through, if you would discipline your body the way we discipline our bodies, then you would have that relationship with God you're looking for. And what we find very clearly in this text is that there is no means by which we receive God's favor apart from Christ. He alone is our way to the Father. 
He alone is the one who gives us that access. And it is not by the blood, it's not by the will of man, it is simply through him. We're also reminded and we reflect on the fact that we are saved and it's not something we've earned again, it's not something we deserve, it's not something that we add on to, it's something that we have received. And I think what's important for us to note is that just as our ability to receive Jesus by faith came to us, we also must walk in that now. I have been redeemed, I have been brought near to the Father because by faith I have received the Son. And in the same fashion, I must now walk by faith. And so he says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, now walk in him. And so there's a sense in which I don't have to add something else to this. I receive Christ and now I by faith walk in him. There's nothing that needs to be added. There's no practices that need to be put in place. It's Christ. He is enough. The idea of walking means to order one's life in accordance with this truth. So this means that as I'm going through my life, as I'm wrestling with maybe uh, I've failed in an area, or maybe I'm trying to discern if this is necessary, all we must do is we must look to Christ and understand that he is sufficient for us. Our salvation began with him, and it endures in him. So, remember how we're saved. We're saved by resting in him and depending on him, and we walk in him by resting in him and depending on him. Colossians 2.7 tells us this. This is kind of Paul's outworking of the verse before. He's saying to walk in him. In verse 7, this is what it says, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This idea of rooted, it is a perfect participle, which means that it expresses an abiding result. What this simply means is that you and I were rooted at one time, and there is an abiding result of that rooting. You and I, when we receive Jesus Christ by faith, we are brought to him, we are united with him, and we are rooted. And this is a one-and-done thing. This is not something that we continue to do or that we have to continue doing. It's something that he has done and we get to enjoy now. And so as you have been rooted, meaning as Christ's work has been done in you, you now stand in that. And so we have been rooted in Christ. Warren Wiersbe says this is something that is once and for all having been rooted. And so pastor says this often. I think it's a helpful statement. It's this idea that you and I are not working for acceptance. We are working from a place of acceptance. We are not working for the favor of God. We are working from a place of the favor of God. And the reason for that is because we have been rooted to the Son of God. We receive the favor that the Lord Jesus himself has. And so the idea here is we have been redeemed and we have been, in, we have been accepted in spite of who we are. And this is not something that is going away. I was saved by grace through faith and I can't lose that because it's by grace through faith. He has done the work and he maintains the work. The next phrase, built up in him, in verse 7, built up in him and established in the faith. This is a, a, this is a present participle, meaning it is a continuous action. So it's actually saying, as you are building up in him, not just built up in him, but as you are building up in him. It's this idea that you and I are constantly investing in our walk with the Lord. We are constantly building our life on something. What are we building it on? Are we building our life on Christ or are we building it on ourselves? In Corinthians chapter 3, Paul tells us that there is only one foundation that has been laid and that is Christ Jesus. And he, he then tells us that every man, every woman must be careful how they build on that foundation. You and I are building every day of our lives. The question is, what are we building on? And I think what's so awesome about our Awana program 
is that we are teaching children, we are helping them memorize verses that throughout their life they will be able to call to memory to be able to inform how they act. You and I must consistently be building in our walk with God. If we are not building, then we are, we are descending. And so it's this idea that I build in my walk of God as I'm rooted in him through his word and as I'm memorizing scripture to help me be mindful of what he has done for me. Because again, we can, we can be forgetful. There are so many things coming at us today, so many ways of thinking, so many philosophies, and what we must be careful to do is to build our life on him. Continuing on, he says, established in the faith. And again, this is a present tense participle. So it's actually saying, being established in him. So it's a continuous thing. It's not a one thing, one thing that's done. The rooted is done. That's Christ's work. He's accomplished that. But you and I have to build every day, and we have to establish our walk with him every day. What's this look like? This means that I am daily committing and daily deciding that I am going to build my life on him. That I'm going to live in a way that corresponds to the faith that I have in the Son of God. There's something that's very important that we don't want to go days on end without having that communion with him. This is where the danger of experiences can come into play. You know, we can really enjoy coming to an excellent worship set, can't we? And we can find ourselves enjoying that. We can go away for the weekend. We can find ourselves in nature and find ourselves enjoying what God has done. But what we must be careful to do is not find ourselves rooted there because that can never satisfy you. We can find ourselves enjoying things, but we must always come back and we always must build our lives on the person and work of Christ. It is a daily establishing that occurs. And it's this idea, established means to be made firm. And so it's something that we're constantly doing. We're constantly shoring up. And when you think about building, you know, obviously there's a sense in which we are always building our homes, right? Uh, with our home, uh, we've been there about three years, and we have done just about everything you can do to the house to make it look nice and to renovate it. And there's yard work to do, and just about the time we get a project done, my beautiful wife has another idea of how we can make it even better. And here's the reality. If you and I are not building our house, it will begin to degrade. It will begin to not look very nice. And you might have a neighbor that you look at their house, and you're like, they've clearly not been building. You and I must consistently be building and investing if we want to see that fruit and that benefit. And then he continues here, and he says, uh, just as you have been taught. And this is referencing back to Epaphras, this faithful servant of God who received Christ, brought the gospel back, and he faithfully taught the, the Colossians the truth of the gospel. And Paul's basically saying, look, there's nothing new here. Just remember what he told you in the first place. Don't listen to all this garbage and all these other teachings coming at you. Just hold true to the basics that Christ is enough. And so as circumstances come into our lives that are difficult and challenging, we must continually establish ourselves and our faith in Christ. And, and what helps this is this next part, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding means to be made full, to be overflowing. It's this picture of a river that has overflown its banks and it's just flooding out. And so when you and I are mindful of how we've been saved, our faith is established that day. And then that leads to thanksgiving. And as we're mindful of the things that God has done for us, that leads us again to return to the faith that we have in him. And then the thanksgiving continues, and it's just a continuous cycle. And the, one of the signs of someone who is rooted in Christ and has faith in Christ is that they're thankful. I don't know about you, one of the easiest things that I find to do is to complain. Complain when I'm driving, complain when I have something to eat and it doesn't fit exactly how I want it, complain when my seltzer water gets diluted, 
We find ourselves complaining so easily about things that some people would find joy in. And, and I think it's very important that we are intentional, that we are thankful people, that we remember what Christ has done for us and in us, and that moves us to a, a heart and attitude of thanks. As we remember how we were saved, it fills us with a heart of thanks and better equips us to identify counterfeits. So our second point this morning is be on guard. Be on guard against counterfeits. One of the dangers that uh, faces us today is, uh, is very deceptive and it's very pervasive, and that is of email and phone scams. Email and phone scams. There is a new uh, email scam that I was researching, and what happens is a, a, a scammer will email you, and basically the email is saying, hey, if you want to opt out of your subscription before you get charged, click this link. I don't know about you, but I have tried new apps, I've tried new services, and I've forgotten to cancel it. Have you ever done that and you end up paying for it? Nobody. You guys are awesome. You're on top of it. All right, good. So some of you are out there. And so it's a very, it's a really smart way to draw people in because nobody wants to get charged for something they don't want. And so what happens is they click on the link, and the link is redirected to a fake website where they're able to hack in and gain access to one's computer. Very dangerous, right? And what's happened is they have taken someone captive through deceit. And as I was Googling it, there's some things that we need to be aware of if we don't want to be in this boat. If there's an unfamiliar tone or greeting in the email, run away. If, the, if there's grammatical errors or spelling errors, if there's inconsistencies with the email address to the domain or the links, meaning if you look at the link and it's different than the email address, stay away from it. If there's a threat or a sense of urgency, like if you don't pay this by this time, then we're going to take you to court. Suspicious attachments, and especially if you did not initiate contact. And so you and I, as we engage with our emails, as we engage online, we have to be on guard. We have to be very careful with what we look at. And this is much further than just an email scam, right? There's all kinds of things out there that we have to be on guard and protective against. And so as we're thinking about this, Paul is addressing this church, and he says this, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So this idea of see to it, beware, it's this idea of constantly be looking out, be on the lookout, uh, have a watchful eye. Uh, I remember when Braden was first born, we were over at Troy Beaumont, and the, the doctor told us that, hey, you know, he might have some fluid in his lungs, and so if, if he starts coughing in the middle of the night, make sure you sit him up and come get us for some help. That's a horrible thing to tell a first-time parent, because we're all, we're wiped out, and as he's just, he just exhales, and I'm like, oh. And I had a watchful eye, and I was watching my son, and I was seeking to care for him. Not that I could have done anything if he was coughing, but it's this idea of have a watchful eye. Be on guard. Don't become complacent. Don't become comfortable. Why? Because someone will take you. Someone will take you captive. And so it says this. Um, the first thing is that no one would take you captive. This is the idea of being led away as a captive or slave, and it's being drawn away like prey. And so I think it's very important. This text says, see to it that no one takes you captive. This is very important because this is the idea that some people will intentionally teach things that are apart from the truth in order to draw people away. If you look in the epistles, John mentions that there are those who come into the gathering who are wolves but are in sheep's clothing, and the teaching that they have is actually there to pervert the gospel and actually to pull people away. So when we hear teaching from the pulpit, when we're in our growth groups 
in fall, and I hope you plug into one. When we are hearing from other books and other resources, we must be careful and we must be on guard. What are we hearing? What are we listening to? And so he says, by philosophy and empty deceit, um, philosophy just simply means the love of wisdom. The love of wisdom. There is nothing wrong with loving wisdom. Wisdom is very important. It's something scripture encourages us to pursue and to have. Because here's the thing. Wisdom is what keeps you and I from making really foolish choices. Wisdom is taking knowledge that we have gained. Knowledge alone puffs, right? Puffs up. Wisdom is that ability to apply it in the appropriate context and setting. And so wisdom is important. Uh, Proverbs 4, 5, and 7 says this. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. And then it goes even further, and it says this in 2.6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So here's the deal. We have to be very careful when we are hearing people speak, when we are reading different resources, when we're considering different ideas. We must be careful to identify what is the source. Is this a, a source that is deriving its wisdom from the Lord, or is it from man? Because here's the thing, whatever we're engaging, it is coming from somewhere. And we need to identify and make sure that it is from the Lord and not according to these things. The first is according to human tradition. Tradition is not a bad thing. It just simply means that which has been passed on from generation to generation. And, and as we're thinking about what's happening in this text, Paul is addressing this issue of, of the, the teaching of the, of, the, of the false teachers because they are having empty conceit. It's, it's, let me just read it. I'm getting all tongue-tied here. Empty deceit. Yeah, so it's, it's hollow. There's nothing to it. Have you guys ever had them Easter bunnies at Easter? Right? Some of them, you bite into it, and it's like you're just going to town. It's chocolatey goodness every bite. But have you ever had those bunnies where you bite into it, and there ain't nothing in the middle? Yeah, it's very deceiving. And it's this, that's what's happening with these false teachers. They, they, they present this truth as something attractive and that's going to satisfy, but the moment someone bites into it, they find, indeed, it is not satisfying. And so Paul is saying, wisdom is good. We should love wisdom, but we should be very careful where are we going for said wisdom. And he says it should not be according to human tradition. Again, this is just what's been passed on from generation to generation. At no time should a tradition trump teaching of the word of God. We should never hold more closely to a tradition if it's going to cause us to subvert or step aside the word of God. We must be a people who are Christ-centric and who are biblical-centric, even in the face of tradition. The other thing is elemental spirits. This is referring to ceremonialism, meats, drinks, washings. It's referring to disciplining the body. It's referring to fasting. All these things that the Gnostic Judeo false teachers were presenting as necessary to receive God's goodness. These things, we are not to live according to them. We're not to live according to the wisdom of the traditions of man or of these elemental spirits, but according to Christ. And so the, the idea here, the issue here, is when we find ourselves going to a source that is separate from the Lord Jesus. And so as we think about this, we need to be a people who are careful and on guard with the information that we allow to us. Here are some of the counterfeits that I think we can interact with and engage. Money. There's this belief that if I could just have a little bit more money, I'll be satisfied. Money can never satisfy us. However, it is something we should steward, isn't it? The Lord gives it to us as a resource to use for his glory, but it cannot satisfy. Our children, our children are a gift from God, but in themselves they cannot satisfy us because they are not able to contain that longing. We need 
to be satisfied in Christ, not our children. The next thing, things. How often do we get the new iPhone and then another one comes out? Right? The moment you get something, you find that there's something better out there. And so things cannot satisfy us. You think about spiritual experiences. You think about going to a great night of worship. You think about going away for a weekend retreat. I remember as a boy going to camp year after year, and I would find myself confessing that I wanted to rededicate my life. I wanted to get saved again. Because every year they would build this up throughout the week. They would build it up to this crescendo where it's like everyone's going up and making decisions. And all of a sudden you're doubting, am I even saved? Am I even one of God's children? And here's the problem is they never set time aside to show us how can we be assured. How can I know that I'm a child of God? Because I just wanted to make sure that I was covered. But you know what happens two weeks later after you have one of those really nice experiences? You come down to life how it is. And you find yourself dealing with the same problems, having the same doubts. So we need to be a people who understand what the word of God says. Right? It tells us in, in Ephesians 1.3, uh, praise, be to our God and Father, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who have blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing. We have everything we need in and through Christ. And then it tells us, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, you and I need not look for additional things, additional experiences. We need to root our life in Christ. Lastly, autonomy. Autonomy is the greatest dagger, isn't it? Wanting to be my own person, wanting to pursue my happiness, wanting to think it's about me. And the problem is, Scripture is so clear, it, has, it is not about us. It is completely and thoroughly about the glory of God. And you and I are most satisfied when we are living for him and when our joy is found in him. So how can I identify counterfeit philosophies and teaching? And the way we do this is we measure everything according to Christ. Every teaching, every idea, every experience, everything must be tied and tethered to the word of God. And if it is not, then it is not to be accepted. And that goes for what's preached from the pulpit, that goes for what happens in growth groups, the books we read, it must be according to Christ. He is the measure. So we are equipped to discern counterfeits when we remember how we're saved and then we are called to actively live like Jesus is enough. I'm just going to pause for a second. Is everyone else hearing that noise? All right, good. All right, I thought I was going crazy. <laughs> Didn't hear it at 9 a.m., so, you know, things happen. All right, so thirdly, live like he is enough. Um, one of the things uh, that the pastoral staff thoroughly enjoy and delight in is a good cup of coffee. We love our coffee. Anyone else love some good coffee in the house? Good. Whether it's when we're having a meeting together and we're discussing different things relating to the church or when we're doing our own responsibilities separate from one another, we love ourselves some good coffee. And all of us know that there are certain chores that come along with wanting to delight in coffee. And one of those is that you always have to refill the, um, the reservoir with water, right? You always have to go to the sink, get to fill it up, and then you put it back and you hit start. Pastor Mike has an incredible little contraption at his house. What he has done is he has his Keurig, and he has hooked a water line directly from his home into the Keurig reservoir. And so when he makes a cup of coffee, it immediately refills on its own. And he actually just did it for us back here in the office. But here's the thing. If we are connected directly to the source, why would we ever go outside of that again? Why would we ever take that reservoir off and try to fill up the water at a different point? We are connected to the source, and so why would we go somewhere else? And it's the same thing for the believer. You and I have been rooted in Christ. We have all we need in him. We don't need to add anything to him, so why would we go outside of him? So we have what we need in him. 
Uh, and, and here's the thing, Colossians 9, through 9 and 10 really unpack this for us. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And so as we look at this, the first word I want us to see is fullness. This just means completely full. Jesus is deity in bodily form to the complete fullness. There is nothing that needs to be added to him. At no point has there been a time in his existence, which is eternal, by the way, where he has had to add to his deity. He is deity through and through. And so Jesus is fully God. And, 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 and Wiest says this, Christ is the fountainhead of all spiritual life, whereas they teach you to seek it in communion with inferior creatures. The Colossian heresy was saying, hey, look, if you want a relationship with God, you've got to worship these angels and you've got to do these practices. Jesus is okay, but he's not enough. Right? They're, they're saying that we should worship the created thing instead of the one who created them. And then here it's saying that he is the fountainhead. He is the source through which all spiritual vitality come from. So why would we ever go to anyone lesser than him? Jesus is enough. And so then he continues, and uh, this idea of dwelling, this means to be home permanently. So the fullness of deity dwells or is home permanently in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's think about this for a second. The, the fullness of deity has always been with Christ. Before the incarnation, Jesus was fully God. During the incarnation, Jesus is fully God. During the ascension, Jesus is fully God. And here's what we have in, in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We see that that's before the incarnation. I remember, uh, it was, it was, hopefully it was longer than a few years ago, but I remember the first time I understood that Jesus pre-existed his incarnation. He's eternal. He is a part of the Godhead. And so we see that Jesus is deity before his incarnation. We see that in the process of his incarnation, he is deity. Verse 14, and, oh, I forgot it. John, John, John chapter 1, verse 14. I'm, hold on, let's go. I had it memorized, but it's that ringing in my head. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us as we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we see that even in his incarnation, he is fully God. And then in Acts, we're shown that the same way he ascended into heaven, he is going to descend back when he comes forth. Jesus is fully deity, he's fully God in bodily form. And, 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 and Paul is so careful to help us see this. And, and this word deity, I want us to help, help us understand this, is only used three times in the New Testament. Three times in the New Testament. The first place it is used is in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And this is what it says. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the, wor of the world. So this pat what this verse is telling us is that no one has any excuse. The creation reveals that there is a divine being who's created all things. And that's a universal thing. Anywhere you go in the world, you see the created world, and you see some being has created these things, and that being is powerful. But here's the problem. That verse in itself does not bring us to an understanding of the personal nature of who God is. Creation in itself, seeing a tree and, and, and beholding its glory, does not help me to know Jesus. And so in this verse, the idea is that we need to have revelation from God through the Son in order to know him. Acts chapter 17 and 29, he's dealing with the people on Mars Hill who have gods for everything. Right? They even have an altar to an unknown God, just in case they missed one. And Paul comes in and he's like, hey, look, I know who this unknown God is that you're looking for. 
And, and in this passage, when he refers to God, he uses the word theos, which is the personal nature of God to Paul. Paul has a personal relationship with God. But then the word slightly changes to theotes when he's referring to the Greeks' perception of God. What does that mean? It means that the perception of the Greeks of who God was could only go as far as to see that he created all things. They could not know him. They could not know God personally. But here we have in Colossians 2.9... It's the same word, but with a slightly different ending. And look with me in verse 9 again. It says, I'm in Philippians. Verse 9, it says this. Uh, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. What's important to note is that Paul is not addressing the divine characteristics of Jesus. He's not talking about his miracles. He's not talking about his ability to calm the sea. He's talking about the fact that he is deity. And the reason he has divine characteristics, the reason he has miraculous works is because he is deity. God. And so in this verse, the reason this is important, the reason it's different is it refers to the the personal and essential nature of the Son of God. Verse 9 of chapter 2 refers to the fact that Jesus isn't just some divine being with power, but that he is God. He is very God. And uh, in in, in the the modern thinking that can happen is there can be a, a view that there's divinity throughout the world in things and in people, and that it's only a, an, an issue of of, of degree, not kind. But what we find here in this text is that Jesus is altogether different than us. You and I are not becoming divine. We are not going to be divine. We reflect the one who is divine. We are here to reflect God and his son Jesus. We are not ourselves gods. And so as we continue in this, in verse 10, it says this, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And so this is a, this is a, um, this is a perfect tense parcel, and what this means is that we have been made full without the... I'm getting mixed up. Slow down. <laughs> it's a complete parcel, meaning that it has a continuing effect again. It's a one-time thing with an abiding result. And so when it says that you are complete in him, what that means is that you are satisfied once and for all. You need not go anywhere else. When, we, when it says that we are filled in him, it means that there's nothing else we need to do, nowhere else we need to go. We have access to everything we need, in the work of Christ, in his person. And so, uh, as we think about this, uh, Pastor Mike made this statement when we were looking this over, and as I was preparing it, it says this, God is not restoring to de- deity to man he never had, but the true humanity that he lost. So God is not restoring to man the deity that he never had, but he is restoring to him the humanity that he lost. You and I, when we lean in, and when we trust Christ, and when we go to him for the resources we need, we are able to walk in a way that pleases him. We possess everything we need for spiritual satisfaction in Christ and need not go anywhere else. And uh, as we think about this, uh, Warren Wearsby says that this is not a matter of addition but of nutrition. I don't have to add anything. I just have to feed on what's there. And this goes for all of us. That isn't just those who study the scriptures and preach them. You and I have access to everything we need in Christ. I referenced it earlier. Ephesians 1.3, all spiritual blessings have been made available to us through God. There is nothing else anyone else can offer us. So let's not go anywhere else. So Jeremiah 2.13 is a reminder of this. The Israelites are a people, uh, it says in Jeremiah 2.13, they've they've committed two evils. They've abandoned uh, the one true God, I'm paraphrasing. Oh, wow, it's up there. You guys rock. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so what's happened is they have forgotten their God. They have forgotten that they had all the resources they need in him, and they were relying on cisterns that leaked. And this is what happens to us when we go outside Christ. 
We are totally satisfied in him. We need nothing else. As we were talking about this also, we, we considered uh, the example of, uh, of, a, of a young person going to their parents and asking for 20 bucks to go to the movies. Uh, you ask for 20 bucks to go to the movies today, and you're, you're lucky if you get uh, a ticket and maybe a, a box of candy, right? It's expensive. But consider the difference between asking your parents for 20 bucks and actually inviting them to come with you. If dad comes with you now, you have the means to get to the movie theater. He's paying for the gas. He's driving you. He now is paying for your ticket. He's paying for the popcorn, paying for the drink, maybe the candy. Who knows? Maybe even the snack after when you leave. The difference is that when we are present with that parent, when we are present with Jesus, we have everything we need to satisfy. We don't need anything else. We don't need to ask him for anything. We enjoy what he has already given us. So as we consider this, as we bring this to a close, what does this look like? And I think what's important, if we want to live like Jesus is enough, is that we need to be mindful of the things that seek to pull us away. Mindful of the things that, that strive to give us satisfaction outside of him and reject them. Jesus is all we need. He is enough. And we will be satisfied as we root our lives in him. We live like Jesus is enough by setting aside autonomy and depending on him. Not just clinging to what is ours because of him, but clinging to him because we are his. And the idea here is that we are filled in him, not by him. It's by being in relationship to him. So this week, let's be mindful of how we are saved. Walk that out so we can discern when counterfeits come and we can live like Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Actually, stand with me and then we will pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for the privilege we've had to open your word. Lord, we know what is true. We know that Jesus is enough. We know that he is sufficient. We know that by him and through him, we have been redeemed. Lord, help us to be a people who go to no other source other than Jesus. I pray that you would enable us to be a people who are uh, willing and able to serve you this week as a result of our thanks for what you've done for us. Lord, as we close our services, we pray that you would be magnified in this song and magnified in our lives as we go from here. It's in Jesus' name we ask and pray these things. Amen.